Welcome to Awaken Life Church podcast. For more information about our church, please visit awakenlifechurch.net. We hope you enjoy this message by Daniel Willett. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Wow. Good morning. Good morning. It's good to be here this morning. My message would not print, so I just got it printed like a second ago. So thank you, Jesus. I was just going to wing it, if not. (laughs) Thank you, Jesus. I hope you had an amazing week. If not, things are going to get better, starting right now. How many just felt like the Lord, the presence of the Lord, and just got a touch from the Lord today, just in worship? Yeah, it's just so powerful just here this morning. Oh, we love those moments. Don't be surprised if we have a Sunday where we just stay, stay in worship the whole time. Um, Yeah, yeah, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. We long for those moments where we just, you know, encounter God like that. And, uh, you know, one day it's just going to hit and we're just going to say, hey, let's just stay here. Let's just like, we're not going to have to get to a message. Let's just stay in worship. And so, yeah, it will happen. So, yeah, and I just believe God was just touching people today. So if you, if you got a healing today or if you, um, the Lord just touched your heart, just let us know. Um, we just love hearing testimonies of what God is doing. It just encourages us. It's like fuel for our fire to keep us going. So let me pray. Thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Father. What a good dad you are. What a good dad you are. And we thank you that we're part of your family, Dad. We thank you, Jesus. What an awesome Savior. What an awesome big brother you are. You laid down your life. You laid down your life. You gladly chose surrender so that we would be free, so that we would be saved, so that we'd be healed, so that we would have life. You gave your life away so that we could have a life. So we thank you, Jesus, and we thank you, Holy Spirit, for your voice. We thank you, Holy Spirit, you're the voice that speaks to us, that leads us, that guides us, that convicts us of righteousness. And we welcome you, Holy Spirit. Just hold out your hands this morning. Holy Spirit, we just say, come and just touch each one this morning. Touch each one this morning that we would hear your voice. We would experience you today. God, we don't, we don't really, uh, just to come here without encountering you is not really worth much. So we want to encounter you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So how many people here are sons of Abraham? Got a couple. Yeah. So the Bible says if you've, if you've received Jesus, you are a spiritual son of Abraham. So welcome to the family. You are a spiritual Israelite. So when we read the Old Testament, we're reading, it's kind of like family history, Kind of like, this is the story of our family, and it's our family's history. So when we we read about the Israelites and what they've gone through, um, it's like it has lessons for us because it's like the family history. And so I'm going to talk today about the Israelites going from slavery into Egypt and all the way to the promised land. And it's, a, it's an amazing representation of our, our lives in Christ. It's really a beautiful picture of what Jesus has done for us in our lives in Christ. How many know Jesus is all throughout the Old Testament? He's all throughout the Old Testament. So Egypt represents our old life before Christ. 
Egypt represents slavery. Egypt is when we were, before we came to Jesus, we were a slave to the sin. We were a slave to the enemy. We were dead in our trespasses, dead in our sin. And that's one of the things that, you know, we keep in mind as we're just sharing Jesus with people is without Jesus, people are dead. They're dead. They're, they're dead in their sins. It doesn't mean they're incapable of doing anything good, but they're dead in their sins, not connected to Jesus who washes away our sins. Amen. So Egypt is that old life, that slavery life. Before salvation, we were slaves serving the enemy. And when we tell people about Jesus, we're hoping to bring them out of Egypt, just like we came out of Egypt. You know, we were rescued out of Egypt so that we could rescue others out of Egypt. I was just hearing the story of Harriet Tubman. I know you guys were talking about that. And she was set free as a slave. And her uh, parents like forbid her to go back, but she's like, I have to go back. She's like, I have an assignment from God. I have a higher authority that I'm answering to. And she goes, I have to go back and set more slaves free. She ended up setting hundreds of slaves free and went back again and again and again and again. And God protected her every time. So that's our job. We're, we're actually been set free so that we can go and set others free. Amen. We're pulling them out of Egypt. So Egypt represents slavery. Romans 8.15 says, God's not giving you a spirit of slavery leading to fear again. When we're in that place of being a slave and everybody who's not saved yet, it's like the fruit of that is fear, like fear of death, fear of like life, fear of the unknown. It comes with fear. And there's the other thing to that is even after we're saved, if we believe, if we don't realize that we're a son and we believe that we're a slave, we'll, we'll have it manifest as fear. That's why it says you've not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again. It's like you, that was where you were and it had a manifestation of fear. And he's like, now you're sons, but if you think you're still a slave mentally, you'll have this manifestation of fear. He's like, I've not given you the spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but I've given you a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Abba, Father, Daddy. So before we got saved, we were slaves of the enemy. And the enemy's hierarchy, did I say that right? The enemy's hierarchy, it's no good. It's no bueno. The highest position in the enemy's hierarchy is slave master. That's as, that's as far as you can go in, in his team. So when God saves us, we're no longer slaves, but we now are sons. You are a son of God. You're a son of God. You're a son. We have a dad, Abba, Father. Sounds like, this sounds like family talk, doesn't it? This, this church is a family. By the way, every time we gather, this is like a family reunion. This is like we're just getting together with the family. We have a good dad. We're all family because we have the same dad. Amen. We all have the same family lineage. When we read the Bible, we're reading about our family. So every church meeting is, is kind of like a family gathering, family reunion. And everyone in family is important. Everyone in our family is important. Everyone in our family is needed. And everyone is unique. And we're not trying to make anybody like somebody else, but we want to find out who you are uniquely, who God's created you to be and celebrate that and fan the flame of whatever God's put in your heart because it's needed. If we turn you guys into something else or if you want to be like someone else, we're actually going to miss the uniqueness that God's put in your heart. And man, we don't want to do that. We want to know what uniquely has God put in your life? How do you fit into the family? 
the way God's intended you to be. So when we're out, when we're evangelizing, when, when someone gets saved, we, we want to get excited with them. And what we say is, now you, now you need a family. You, you've, you've just met the Savior. Like, we get excited with them. Like, this is a, a great day for you. Jesus came into your heart, and now you need a family. And we just welcome them. We're like, if you don't have a church, man, we got a great family. And we'll, we'll gather around you. We'll bless you. We will um, encourage you, build you up, and we'll walk with you. Mothers, fathers, aunts, uncles, grandpas and grandmas, brothers and sisters, will walk with you. So Egypt represents the old life where we were living as slaves, working for the enemy. How many have seen that movie, The Count of Monte Cristo, with Jim Caviezel? Man, that's, that's a great movie if you haven't seen it. That's like one of my, that's one of our family favorites. Such a good movie. But I was just thinking of the, the prison warden in that movie the other day. And, uh, you know, that's like the highest level in the kingdom of darkness is prison warden, slave master. But when we finally say yes to God, he brings us through the Red Sea. And this is the Red Sea. What happened with the Israelites is an amazing picture of salvation. All the Israelites were at the edge of the Red Sea. And then here comes Egypt, the old life, their slave masters, representing bondage, slavery, condemnation, shame, the old sin. And it's coming after them. It's coming over this hill and it's coming down and they see it and they're like, we're dead. We're between a rock and a hard place. And actually, when you do a deep study, they were between a rock and a hard place on all sides. There's like everything around them was like, there's no way out. There's no way out. And they start, some people start crying. Some people start praying. Some, they're, they're making lots of noise. And, and Moses says, be silent. Even the people that were praying, he says, be silent. He says, watch what God is going to do for you today while you be silent. He wanted them to know, this is, there's nothing you're going to do that's going to create this. Not even your prayers. Be silent and watch how God delivers you today. And God did the miracle for them. He opens up the Red Sea. And it's a beautiful picture that we could not save ourselves. We could not save ourselves without God coming and opening up the sea, they're dead. It's a miracle that God did 100%. He opens up the sea and they walk through on dry ground. But here's the really beautiful part of this is all their tormentors, all the old life, all the sin, all the shame come in after them and God closes the waters and drowns the old life. Sin, shame, torment, slavery, all dead, 100%. There wasn't one man in Pharaoh's army that was left alive. They were all dead. And that's a representation. Every single piece of the old life, every sin, all dead, drowned in the Red Sea, which represents the blood of Jesus. It's a beautiful picture of salvation. So he brought us through the Red Sea. When you said yes to Jesus, he brought you through the Red Sea and he drowned your own life, your old life behind you. And there's no way back to your old life. He closed the waters and he killed all the slave masters. Even if they wanted to go back, all their slave masters were dead. He closed the way back to the old life. So don't look back. That is not your life anymore. Philippians 3 
3, 13, and 14, Paul says this, Brothers and sisters, I do not regard myself as having taken hold of it yet. But one thing I do, forgetting. Say forgetting. Say it again. Say forgetting. Forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So we move forward and God has actually closed the way back. No way back to the old life. You might as well look forward. Don't try to pick up the old life. That's, that's where you were dead. We, don't, we know instinctually we don't pick up a dead animal. We don't associate with dead things. And that's what the old life is. It's dead. So before they could get to their promised land, they had to go through the wilderness. So they come out of slavery. The Red Sea is this beautiful picture of the salvation and the conversion and what Jesus has done for us on the cross. He did it 100%. They couldn't do it. They were at the edge of the Red Sea. It was like God had to show up or they were dead. And God does the miracle, just like the miracle of salvation. And now they're taken into the wilderness. And the wilderness is this. The wilderness represents for us learning how to do life in the new family. In this new family with Jesus Christ as a powerful son. Learning how to do life as a powerful son. So he brought us out of Egypt, but now he's getting Egypt out of us. The old way of thinking the old way of processing, the old way of doing life. This is the wilderness season. He's getting Egypt out of us. He's done all the heavy lifting. And in his eyes, and, and spiritually speaking, we're fully sons. We're fully saved. Sin has been dealt with. It's paid for. And now he's removing, like the Bible talks about, renewing the mind. He's removing the old Egypt mindset from our thinking. So here's some things we learn in the wilderness. Number one, in the wilderness, we learn that all our needs are provided for. All our needs are provided for. We're no longer Oliver Twist, an orphan. We're no longer more. Can we have more, please? More, sir. <laughs> We're no longer Oliver Twist. We're now a son. We're no longer an orphan begging for what we need. We're a son where everything we need is provided for. I want to read Exodus 17, verses 1 through 7. It says this, Exodus 17, verses 1 through 7. By the way, if you're a note taker, this message is called Into the Promised Land. Into the Promised Land. Exodus 17, 1 through 7 says this, The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of sin, traveling from, the place, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to test? But the people were thirsty for water there and they grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and our livestock die of thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, what am I to do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. The Lord answered Moses, go out in front of the people, take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. 
I will stand there before you by the rock of Horeb, strike the rock, and water will come out. Water will come out of the rock for all the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders in Israel, and he called that place Massa and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? This is what they said. Is the Lord among us or not? How many have ever found yourself in the wilderness, in a wilderness moment, saying, where are you, God? Are you among, are you among us or not? I've been there. Where are you, God? They're crying out to God. God, where are you? Are you among us? In the wilderness season, God is preparing us. He's preparing us and he's shaping us to be able to handle the blessings of the promised land. Bill Johnson says this, God wants to grow you and mature you so that you can steward his blessings. He grows us and he matures us so that we're actually able to handle his blessings. There's so many examples of that. But but how many know, Ran and my son, he's 12. He's not ready for the car keys yet because it would hurt him give him car keys. But there's going to come a day he's growing, he's maturing, he's learning. There's going to come a day where I give him the car keys. God wants to give us the car keys, but he's not going to give them to us when we're going to hurt ourselves. Amen. So he, he wants to grow us. He wants to train us. He wants to raise us up and mature us so that we can steward his blessings. So here's the amazing part. As we're learning in the wilderness, God provides for all of our needs. This is one of the things we learn when we come out of slave mentality and into sonship. We're like, oh, I don't have to beg anymore. I don't have to fight anymore. I don't have to make it happen anymore. God's going to provide for all of my needs. Amen? You guys are quiet today. Maybe I just need some more coffee. I just kind of low energy today. (laughs) Do a little dance. (laughs) So God provides for us, not because of what we do, simply because we're his children. Simply because we're his children. It's like, what wouldn't we do for our kids? All of us that have kids, you know, we'd do anything. We want them to have everything that they need, amen? Amen. So we learn we don't have to fight, we don't have to beg, but God's going to provide for all of our needs in, in the wilderness. So the Israelites needed water, and God provided water from them. He told Moses, strike the rock. By the way, who's the rock? It's not Dwayne Johnson. Who's the rock? Why did Moses say, strike the rock? Jesus was struck. And it resulted in living water pouring out for us. Amen? There's another time they needed water. This is actually, the one we read was the second time they needed water. And there's a third time that they actually need water. And the third time, he tells Moses, he says, speak to the rock. And Moses, kind of out of frustration, he doesn't speak to the rock. He hits it again. And there was a penalty for doing that. Because Jesus didn't need to be struck twice. He was only struck once. And the living water flowed out forever. Now we speak to the rock. Amen? So one of the things we learn, the first thing we learn when we come out of that slavery, the old life, we learn 
God's going to provide for us, and it's simply because we're his children. Number two, we learn daily dependence on Jesus. Daily dependence on Jesus. This was represented by the manna that was provided for the Israelites daily. How many know Jesus said, I am the manna. That was a picture of me. He says, I am the manna that comes out of heaven. He actually, man, I really, uh, how do I I articulate this? My heart goes out to people who are um, Jewish people who have not connected it to Jesus because Jesus perfectly interprets everything in the Old Testament. Everything in the Torah is perfectly interpreted by Jesus. Jesus says, hey, that manna thing, that was a representation of me. I am the manna that comes out of heaven. It's that daily connection that we need from the Father, that daily voice that he's speaking over us like, Lord, what are you saying today? And sometimes, you know, I just had that time with the Lord this morning. I'm like, Jesus, I just need your word today. And he just gave me one little thing. And it was what I needed for today. That was my manna for the day. Just like, thank you, Jesus. Every day we need to hear just like, Jesus, what's the, what's the word for today? Our daily, we need our daily bread, just like the manna. By the way, they could not store up the manna. They couldn't store up a bunch and then on Monday and, and eat some of that that they got on Monday on Tuesday. On Tuesday, the manna that they stored up on Monday was full of worms. So it represents like you need the fresh manna every day. You need the fresh voice of the Lord to speak to you every day. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't like celebrate like things that he's done in the past. Absolutely, we do. Like I love to praise the Lord for all that he's done. It brings me to a place of of thankfulness when I look and say, oh God, thank you that you healed my wife's heart. Thank you that you healed my back. Thank you that you've you've just done so much in our life. You've set me free from fear. You've set me free from intimidation. I used to be terrified to, to do what I'm doing right now. The thought of doing what I'm doing right now before made me nauseous, literally. And Jesus, in an instant, set me free of, of the spirit of fear. So, so we, we look back and we thank the Lord for like what he's done, absolutely. But he wants to have this daily communion with us where he's just like speaking life over us. Life over us. He's just giving you your daily bread. We saw Jesus do this. He just ran to be with the Father. He'd get up before the sun came up and just like he just had to be with the Father. He had to hear the voice of his dad speak to him. So number one, we learn that all of our needs are going to be provided for. Number two, we learn daily dependence on Jesus. Number three, in the wilderness season, we learn to receive training. We learn to receive training. In Egypt, we didn't get training. We got punishment. But God wants to train you for your benefit because he loves you. So part of coming out of the orphan mindset is in, in the orphan life, in the slave life, we got punishment. But in the sonship life, we don't get punishment. There's no punishment for us. All the punishment was put on the body of Jesus. We get training because God wants to train us and raise us up so that we can steward more blessing. Amen? Hebrews 12 says this. I'm going to read a few verses in Hebrews 12, verses 5 through 12. He says, and have you forgotten his encouraging words spoken to you as his children? We are children. So again, this is family talk. That was, that was a good one. 
Have you forgotten his encouraging words spoken to you as his children? He said, my child, don't underestimate the value of the discipline and training of the Lord God. Don't, I love this. This is the Passion Translation. Don't get depressed when he has to correct you. For the Lord's, for the Lord's training of your life is the evidence of his faithful love. And when he draws you to himself, it proves that you are his delightful child. Fully embrace God's correction as part of your training, for he is doing what any loving father does for his children. For who has ever heard of a child who has never had to be corrected? We all should welcome God's discipline as the validation of authentic sonship. That's good. It's the validation of authentic sonship. It's the proof that he actually loves us, that he's actually willing to train us and correct us and not let us crash the car into the median. Amen? I lost my place. I was going to read a couple more scriptures. Verse 9, where was I? Okay, I'm gonna go back to verse eight. I think I already read it. We all should welcome God's discipline as the validation of authentic sonship. For if we have never once endured his correction, it only proves we are strangers and not sons. And isn't it true that we respect our earthly fathers even though they corrected and disciplined us? Then we should demonstrate an even greater respect for God, our spiritual father, as we submit to his life-giving discipline. Our parents corrected us for a short time of our childhood as it seemed good to them, but God corrects us throughout our lives for our own good, giving us an invitation to share his holiness. Now all discipline seems to be painful at the time, yet later it will produce a, tra- it will produce a transformation of character bringing a harvest of righteousness and peace to those who yield to it. So in the wilderness season, we learn to receive training. We learn that God doesn't have punishment for us. A lot of times, I, I know I could say this for myself, a lot of times I would resist the training of the Lord because I would associate it with my old life of, of uh, discipline, or not discipline, of punishment. But God ha- doesn't have punishment for us. He only has training for us. And so we need to embrace the training of the Lord. You know, um, there's that scripture I read, I think, last week where it says, um, correct a fool and he'll hate you. Correct a wise man and he'll love you. So part of coming into sonship and coming into wisdom is like looking for that training, looking for that correction. Like I need God to, to redirect me. I need people in my life that can see if I'm getting off base and that can bring training, bring discipline into my life. So in the wilderness, we learn the difference between punishment. We learn the difference between punishment and training. Punishment leads to shame and condemnation. But training leads to transformation and peace of mind. That's what we just read in that scripture. Training leads to transformation and peace of mind. The trick is to receive training and not to go into shame and condemnation. This is the tricky this is a tricky one. Sometimes I've missed this before. The trick is to be able to receive training and maintain your sonship and know 
I'm fully loved by God. I'm not less accepted by God because he's training me. I'm not um, being punished. I'm being called into a higher level right now. Amen. He wants to train us so that we can steward his blessings. So we need to get excited <laughs> about training. Training leads to upgrades in the spirit. Punishment leads to shame, but training leads to transformation. Conviction, it's the difference between conviction and condemnation. The enemy is always trying to bring condemnation. How many know God has no condemnation to give? It's Romans 8.1 says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. Condemnation leads to shame, which leads to disconnect, like where we want to run from God. Like Adam and Eve in the garden, they were ashamed, they ran from God. God's like, where are you guys? Like, we're, we were ashamed, we ran away. So condemnation leads to shame. Conviction leads to transformation, leads to us being able to steward more of what God wants to, to give us. So some things we learn in the wilderness. Number one, we learn all our needs are going to be provided for. Number two, we learn daily dependence on Jesus. Number three, we learn to receive training and embrace training. What good father is there that doesn't train his son? It's actually a, a validation of sonship that we receive training. Number four, in the wilderness, this is a big one. I think the training is a big one too. That's a big one. But number four, that's a big one too. In the wilderness, we learn to see things with God's perspective. We learn to stop seeing with the slavery mindset, with that lack mindset, with the punishment mindset, and we start to see things from God's perspective. One of my favorite stories in the Old Testament is the story of Joshua and Caleb. That's one of my favorite stories. We know that God asked Moses to send a leader from each of the 12 tribes of Israel to spy out the land of Canaan. I, I like to think of them because they often will call it 12 spies. I like to think of them as 12 leaders because that's what they were. He, he, said, he took a leader from each tribe and he sent 12 leaders to go and spy out the land. And so we get 10 leaders. They come back with a very negative report. There's giants. The cities are fortified. We're like grasshoppers in our own sight to them. Let's go back to Egypt. They literally said that. They're like, this looks hard. There's giants. The walls are big. We're, we feel like grasshoppers. Let's appoint a leader and go back to Egypt. Man, they're at the edge. Think of this. This is, again, this is a representation of, of our Christian life. They're at the edge of the promised land. And the, they bring this negative report, and they're like, let's go back to slavery. They're right there. They're at the edge of breakthrough. And they're like, we're going to appoint a leader, and we're heading back to bondage, to the old life. So, man, if, if there's a temptation, and you're like, man, I, th I, wanna f I feel like I want to go back to the old life, you might be right at the edge of your breakthrough. You might be right on the cusp of it. But two people came back and they had a positive report. They said, the land is great and the Lord will give it to us. And they said this, I love this. These giants are going to be our bread. Ten people said, there's giants and I'm intimidated. Two people said, there's giants and they're going to be our bread. Could you get a more different report? 
Could you get a more conflicting report? What was the difference between Joshua and Caleb and the other 10 leaders? Perspective. Joshua and Caleb saw, th saw the situation through God's eyes. The other 10 leaders saw through human eyes. They saw from an earthly perspective. This is impossible. What did they expect to see? Sometimes in life, we, we were like, we go into a situation or God's told us like, I'm gonna give you favor in this area. And we go into that area where we're like looking for something easy that we can do in our own strength. What did they expect to see? Like little people in huts? Oh, we can do this. Oh, this is gonna be all right. We're gonna be able to do this. Because they're seeing from earthly eyes. They're looking for something that they can conquer and we do it in our lives. God will speak, like, I'm giving you favor in this industry and we're looking for something that we can accomplish in our own strength in that industry. We need to start seeing, we need to start seeing these giants and these big things that look too big for us and be like, that's the thing I'm supposed to conquer in this industry. That's what I'm supposed to do. Joshua and Caleb saw with God's perspective and it's part of the blessing of the wilderness as God starts to exchange our old perspective. He calls it the renewing of our mind and starts giving us his perspective. That's something we can ask for. The Bible asks, it tells us to ask for wisdom. Lord, I need your wisdom. He says, I'll generously give wisdom to anybody who asks for it. God, I need your wisdom. I need your perspective. Especially in moments where I, I see giants, I'm like, this looks hard. This doesn't look possible. God, I'm not seeing from your eyes. I need your perspective in this issue. Joshua and Caleb, the only difference between them is they had God's perspective, them and the other leaders. So often we're looking at things with our natural eyes like the 10 leaders. Sometimes we're looking for things that are easy for us to do in our own strength. But God wants you to do something that's bigger than you. Faith is believing for something that's bigger than you can do on your own. It's looking at things and being like, man, I could never do this on my own. That might be a clue. Like, God's going to give you that territory. He's going to give you the breakthrough. But it's going to be him and not you. It's going to be you stepping out in faith. And he partners with our faith. So one of the tests of the wilderness is to begin to see things like God sees them. All things are possible to him who believes. So Egypt represents the old life before Christ. The Red Sea represents our salvation from our old life. The wilderness represents learning how to do life in the new family with Jesus as a son. Learning how to do life as a son. And then there's the promised land. The first thing I want to say is this. This is so good. I feel like God gave me this this week. The giants of the wilderness become our bread in the promised land. The giants that we're facing in the wilderness become our bread in the promised land. You know, the sword that was created, and there was only one that was created like this. It was a one-of-a-kind sword. David says this later. The sword that was created and given to Goliath to kill David, it's the same sword that he pulled out of giants of, of Goliath's sheath and cut his head off with. 
The sword that was created to kill David, David used to kill the giant. And I, I was just reading, uh, we have this like picture Bible book that we used to read to our kids. And one night I was just reading this story, you know, it was years later after that had happened with David and Goliath. And it's when David is running from Saul. Excuse me. And he's running from Saul and he doesn't have a weapon and he goes to this priest and the priest's like, he, he goes, I only have one sword and it's Goliath's sword. And David makes a comment. He goes, that's a, that's a unique sword. That's a one-of-a-kind sword. There was only one ever made like it. So the thing that the enemy's trying to kill you with or has tried to kill you with, it's a one-of-a-kind weapon that you actually get to use against him. So in the promised land, the giants of the wilderness become your bread. The giants that are in front of you are actually your doorway into the promised land. The giants in front of you are your doorway into the promised land. Giants of personal struggle. Giants of marital problems. Giants of health issues. Giants in our city. Giants in our nation. These are actually doorways into your promised land. The truth is we need the giants to get to our destiny. David needed Goliath to get to the palace. We need the giants to get to our destiny. David needed Goliath to get into the palace and eventually become king. And what did David see when he saw the giant? Everybody else saw fear, intimidation. David saw a ticket into the palace. Remember, somebody says, whoever kills this, this giant, the, the, uh, the king of, of the Israel, Saul, has said that he is going to give them one of their daughters and they're going to be brought into the kingdom. And he's like, what? Oh, wait, that's where I'm supposed to be. I've already, it's already been prophesied over me that I'm going to be in the palace. Here's my ticket to the palace. He wasn't intimidated. He saw, this is it. I'm supposed to be in the palace. So we need to see the giants as like, this is, this is it. This is the doorway into the palace. And you can't do it on your own. You have to have God with you, but he will, he will be with you. And we just need to have the right perspective. So the promised land is you becoming what he's created you to become from the foundation of the world. And it's actually how he sees you now. He knew you in your mother's womb. He saw all of your destiny, everything that he created you to be. And he's never forgotten it. He, he sees you as you are. Fully healed, fully healthy, full of life that he created you to be. The promised land is you becoming what he created you to become from the foundation of the world. It's like Neo in the Matrix where he finally starts to see what he was always meant to see. There's like that scene where he finally sees it all. He's like, oh, I see it now. I see it now. The promised land looks like you becoming the answer to someone's prayer. Just by stepping into your destiny. The promised land looks like becoming fathers and mothers in the, body, in the body of Christ while still remaining sons. You never stop being a son. You never grow out of sonship. You're always a son, but you learn to become mothers and fathers to others around you. The promised land looks like revival. 
It looks like revival starting in your own life and then spreading into your family, spreading into your church, spreading into your city. The promised land looks like bringing the kingdom into your industry. The promised land looks like you becoming part of something bigger than yourself. A lot of times when we come out of slavery and we come into sonship, we're, we're still kind of in self-protection mode, but we get to this place with the Lord where we're like overflowing and we get to just join something that's part bigger than ourselves and we get to overflow and become the mother, become the father that God's created us to be. The promised land is you becoming the love of God in the world. God is love. He lives inside of us. And the promised land is us leaving the self-protections, leaving the orphan mindset, and actually becoming love to the world around us. The walls of Jericho looked big. They looked insurmountable. It looked impossible. It's interesting, when they were circling the walls of Jericho, they went around for seven days. One of the instructions was, don't talk. Be silent. (laughs) It's another time, you know, Moses says it at the Red Sea when they're at the edge of the Red Sea. He says, be silent. Even your praying, stop your praying, stop your complaining, just just be quiet and watch what God is going to do. So this was another time where he's like, God's going to do this. Watch the miracle and be silent. I think, I think it was a couple things. I think he was like, don't sabotage it by saying how hard it looks. And also, I, don't, I think he, another piece of it was similar to the Red Sea where he's like, hey, not even your wailing or crying out is going to do this. Just be silent and believe that I'm going to do it. And watch me do it. The walls of Jericho looked insurmountable. But God did another miracle to bring his people into the promised land. So there is nothing in your life that's insurmountable for God. And God is calling us each, each one. He's calling us into the land that he's promised. He's calling us into the land. He's bringing healing. He's bringing life. He's, he's bringing upgrades. He's offering training and discipline so that we can grow and come into that promised land. There is a process. One of the, the ditches of like, the grace message is like, yes, we're totally sanctified. Yes, we're the righteousness of God in Christ. Yes, Jesus has paid it all. But now faith actually looks like something. Like what, is, what, are we, what does our faith look like? Like faith for Zacchaeus looked like climbing up a tree. It looked like doing something where he, had, he like stepped out and climbed up a tree and then Jesus saw him and said, I'm coming to your house today. Changes the whole plans. Look at that Faith. I'm going to your house today. Yeah, God wants to bring you into your promised land. He wants to bring you in in your marriage. He wants to bring you in in the industry that you're in, in the personal struggles. He wants to bring you into this place, this beautiful promised land. Amen. Stand to your feet. I'm going to pray over you and then I'm going to have um, Pastor Joy come up.
Yeah, thank you, Jesus. We just thank you for your presence. Presence is so beautiful. We thank you for your encouragement today. We thank you for life. We thank you, Jesus, you paid it all. You paid it all for us to be free, for us to have life, for us to come into the promised land. You've won the victory. Thank you, Jesus. We love you, Lord. I just want to just pray over you. I just pray for people right now that there's something in your life that's a giant. You're like, this thing looks, looks big. I just pray over you heaven's perspective right now in Jesus' name. These, those giants are going to be your bread. Those giants are going to be your bread. The weapon that's tried to, that the enemy's tried to use against you, you're going to use against him. And there's no other weapon like it. Thank you, Jesus. I just declare heaven's perspective. I just bless you in your process, too, of those, those things that look difficult, those things that look hard. Just, just bless you even to just take those things to the Lord and just say, God, what's your perspective? I need to see this thing from your angle. I need to see this thing where I'm seated in heavenly places with Jesus Christ. You need to see from heaven down, not from earth to earth. The 10 spies saw from earth to earth. Joshua and Caleb saw from heaven down. I just pray just uh, the perspectives of Joshua and Caleb in this place. There's so many Joshua's and Caleb's in this place that are gonna bring hope into areas where there's no hope. They're gonna see things from God's perspective. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, bless, bless this congregation. Thank you, Jesus. I'm gonna come up, Pastor Joy. Amen. Yeah, we just thank you, Jesus. You know, the, a prophetic picture that the Lord gave me in a dream years ago um, is uh, in the dream, it was actually this hand, there was a snake wrapped around my, my arm and it was squeezing and it went to strike. And when it went to strike, I, I flinched like this. And then when I looked, I realized that it actually struck itself. And that was the end of that snake. <laughs> and so um, this is a prophetic picture. Let's give the Lord a hand. Yeah, he's so good. That's him. Um, I, I just want to share that with you because that's your promise too. Um, anywhere that the enemy is trying to attack you, see the provision in it. Because I'm telling you, as I'm standing here today, the, the, the enemy attacked my heart um, and attacked me with infirmity, and now I get to set people free from infirmity. Amen? The Lord, the Lord, the enemy attacked me with fear and intimidation, and I get to rise up in boldness and set people free from fear and intimidation. Every time he's come against me, it's given me more and more keys to unlock more and more cages for other people. And I'm telling you, as I'm standing right here, child of God, you have have authority over these things in the name of Jesus. And you are going to see that when the enemy's attacking you, it's like bread is trying to attack you. You're like, yay, 
see provision when you see the attack. Amen. So Lord, I just thank you, Father, that you're giving us your vision, Lord. Every time we see the enemy coming against us, warring against us, difficult situations and all those different things, I pray that you would open our eyes to see. It's like, man, cheeseburgers are attacking me. This is my provision. Woo. Yeah. So we just say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, Father. It's because of you. It's because of your blood. I thank you that your children are fully protected in the blood of Jesus. They are fully powerful and they are full of your authority, Jesus, in your name and because of your blood, God. So we just thank you, Lord, that we get to shift and then turn that around, Lord Jesus. I declare that everything coming against your people is going to backfire in the name of Jesus. More ground is going to be taken. More cages are going to be unlocked in the name of Jesus. More things are going to be happening in all the different industries, all the things when people are like, oh my gosh, it's so impossible. Say, oh my gosh, here's the provision. And it's because it's supernatural that he's opening the doors. And so we just thank you so much for it, Jesus. We just give you all the praise and all the glory in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. Give the Lord a hand clap.